Hello, and welcome to the Outlier Podcast, the podcast for everyone who is interested in building better homes. My name is Evangelia, and I'm hosting this podcast with Anthony, founder of Outlier, who is passionate about creating beautiful and high-performing homes. Together, we sit down once a month to chat with industry experts to help educate Australians about the potential of creating healthy, comfortable and energy efficient homes. We hope you join us on this journey. Today we are talking with Marnie Horson from Marnie Horson Photography. In a previous life, she was an environmental scientist with a keen interest in birds. These days you can find Marnie creating beauty from behind the camera lens, photographing impactful, beautiful and high performance homes, all in a quest to contribute to a better world. Marnie is committed to working only with clients who are serious about sustainability, which allows her to align with people who are aware of the social impacts of what they do and are actively making a change. She is B Corp certified, her practice is carbon neutral, and she is a member of 1% for the planet. She joins us today to discuss how she found her purpose and provide words of wisdom on how you can find yours too. Hi Marnie, thank you for coming and chatting with us today. Um, it's good to see you. Good to meet you finally in person. Um, so did you want to start off today by telling us a little bit about who you are, um, and exactly what it is that you do? Thanks for having me. My name is Marnie Horson. I'm in business to bring back nature and it just also happens that I'm a photographer. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) So to explain that a bit, I read the Simon Sinek books, Start Your Why and Find Your Why at the start of this year. Have you heard of them? I have not, no, but do expand. (laughs) So um, I suppose I started my career as an environmental scientist. Um, Fun fact, I have an honours degree in sexually transmitted diseases in birds, Mm. (laughs) which I've never used professionally. Um, Yeah, no, that's (laughs) that's unbelievable. I I didn't even know that was a thing. So there you go. Lie birds with chlamydia. Oh, okay. Um, I have heard about that with koalas, mm, but a different yeah, kind. Yeah, live birds at that yeah, point. Right. But anyway, go. so environmental science for 10 years. But when I became a photographer, I found it really hard to pigeonhole myself as just a photographer, I suppose. So when I read these books by Simon, I realised that my why was a lot broader. Um, it was about making more of a difference in issues like uh, conservation, climate change, biodiversity, and things like that. So I've always had a big passion um, for the business side of things. Yeah. I've always liked helping others grow their business um, and creating impact through my business and personal life. So once I read Simon's books, I kind of realised that it was a much bigger thing and I didn't have to pigeonhole myself as just that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was also about enacting change in other businesses by showing mm. them how you can run a business, a for-profit business, but also by creating impact. So it made a lot more sense to kind of broaden my whole why to rather than just saying, I'm a photographer and people just mm-hmm. put you in this thing. You know, usually once people found out my background of environmental science, it kind of made them, they had more questions about that yeah. than photography. So. Mm. I decided just to kind of change how I looked at things and then everything made a bit more sense about why I love the business side, why I tried to create impact, just like a a much more holistic reason of doing things. And I think that also explained in retrospect why I wanted to certify as a B Corp. 
Well, that's a whole other topic of discussion <laughs> right there. But that makes – I understand why you have that that holistic approach now. I, I didn't realise that that was something you actively sought to do mm. was look beyond just, you know, photography and what you do in your day-to-day but then look to include that as, you know, into business and, and to help others in business to be able to do that. Like that's honestly genius. <laughs> well, it made yeah. sense and I didn't, I didn't really realise that until I read these books um, that kind of made you look back at your whole purpose and what you existed for, what was important to you. And then I realised that, you know, you have these common themes coming up. And then I went, well, that makes more sense in how I can explain myself rather than just being, you know, you're this, you're this narrow field of things. So A lot of people go through their entire lives and still don't discover what their purpose is. That's a, yeah, it's another topic in itself well, as well. But yeah. That's- saying that there's, you know, I, I don't think I've figured out the purpose mm. in career, life, everything. There's actually many days where I run into my husband in the kitchen on a work day or something. We both work from home. And I'm just like, what's the point? What's the purpose? What are we doing this for? So I don't have the answers. I still feel, you know, I'm not doing enough. How how to create more impact. So it's a constant battle. I'm mm-hmm. sure it'll never You're not alone. End. Mm-hmm. You know, no. that's that's I think that's the case for everyone. Um and I'm sure this the thing that I think will be interesting for a lot of listeners is the relatability here. So mm. they may have a passion. The reason they're listening to this right now is because they, they clearly have an interest or a passion in what we're talking about. And what makes it unique for you is, I guess, you had a complete, not just a career change, but you changed trajectory entirely. And I think the question to probably ask is more, you know, do you look back on that fondly and making that decision, regardless of what the, you know, where you're heading and, and what that purpose is ultimately? From environmental science, yeah. photography, because I, I suppose I've almost had two where then I went into photography and then decided to kind of completely pivot and niche down what I did as well. So there's almost, it's almost two in there, but I don't think I could ever go back and work for someone else. I think, I think working for yourself has made me unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm putting my hand up for those who can't see. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of small businesses feel that way. Um, but yeah, I suppose I could I could talk a little bit about what a certified B Corp is because I yeah, always get that. asked that question. Mm. Um, and a certified B Corp is a business that meets high standards of environmental and social performance, accountability and transparency. So your business is assessed in five areas. This is like the passive house principles where sometimes I can put on the spot and then I get them wrong. Yeah. But <laughs> it's environment, community, governance, customers and workers. And I don't have any workers. I always wondered how it would go being a sole trader, providing a service, doing your B Corp, but it is possible. Um, so if you don't have workers, those points are just assigned amongst the other four mm-hmm. um, areas. Mm-hmm. But B Corps seek to use that business as a force for good and mm-hmm. they measure success generally by the positive impact that you're creating. So it's not about the short wins and profit. It's about the long-term investments and making a difference, bringing benefit to communities, environment, people. But it's always still for-profit businesses. So just because you're making a profit doesn't mean you can't also make a difference Mm. in other areas as well. Yeah, I'm glad you clarified that. Mm. That's really important to mention as well. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel as though... Some of the businesses, when I first started out, some of the businesses I looked up to, I kept seeing the B Corp certified logo. 
Um, and I was like, what is this? You know, and when I dived into it, I was just like, this is amazing. Like this is something that allows you to, yeah, as you say, have a business, operate the business, but not just be profit driven, but consider all these other things mm. and contribute back as well. Um, it's certainly admittedly something that I feel like I have been working towards for a couple of years now. Um, I know it probably took you some time as well. It's not something you can just fill an application form and then they'll mm. hand over the certification. They do scrutinize that and, um, you know, make sure that you're genuine. Yeah. It is, is a process. It, yeah. I um, did it at the start of 2021. I'd been talking about doing it for a while and I think I'd looked at it and just felt a bit overwhelmed. So I thought the only way I'm going to actually succeed is to block out my calendar. Yeah. So I decided that for the first week of every month, I wouldn't take on any shoots and I would work on it and get it done. And I think a good tip is employing a B Corp consultant because when I first looked at it, no one was doing that in Australia and I'd found someone in Canada, I think, and I was right. about to engage them to help me and then realise that there's a whole suite of them in Australia that you mm -hmm. can use. So that was really good just to get you on track and make sure you're answering the right questions, mm -hmm. things yeah, like that. That's so, pretty sound advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just in knowing the application myself, there is so many ones where you're like, ah, oh, I don't know how to respond to this. Yeah. And just having someone there to assist, I'm sure, just gave you that confidence, I guess, yep. or just, yeah, make sure we're doing it right. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, how long was that duration again? Like over? Well, I started in January. I think I submitted in April, but without completing it. So there was such a queue that they said, get it in, ah. which kind of freaked me out because I'm such a perfectionist. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you know, what if, what if they look at it before it's finished? <laughs> <laughs> but there was, a, there was about a six month wait, oh, I think at that point. A lot of businesses were doing it, especially in the pandemic, had mm. started to look oh, at course. making an impact and a lot of people were doing the assessment. So there was there was a big wait. So I think in November, they eventually looked at it and mm. ticked it off. So yeah, yeah it was a big wait in the queue. Mm. I, uh, I, I guess I do want to ask, because you have done so much in that time, um, that, you know, for, and I, I guess I do, I, I'm talking to those who are listening right now that essentially have maybe thinking about, you know, jumping over the fence, coming into work on, um, you know, high performance homes or passive house homes, or just generally doing better when it comes to um, construction and livability in Australian homes. And who are maybe, yeah, not industry related, but looking for that, that sort of push, I guess, to come across. And what would you give advice to anyone who, to, I guess the reason for that, just to clarify, is for purpose. Like you you have this passion or you have this interest in this side of things and you want to get into that. So what is that sort of advice you would give to anyone who's listening that, you know, for, to find to follow their purpose? Or it could just be in general, I, should, I suppose, as well. Like, find their purpose. Well, I mean, a lot of people are looking for that. I'd say you could almost read those, read the Simon Sinek books yeah. first we'll as a good point notes, because yeah. that clarified a little bit for me. Um, and then I think if you have a business, if, if you can make change, look at your business to how you can make change within that business. Mm. Um, because you can run through that B Corp assessment without actually certifying to, that gives you ideas. I think that's a really useful tool that people can do. You can kind of, I think they say you can do it in a couple of hours. If you kind of just smash it out, cool. answer all the questions without, you know, filling in all the um, the documentation and that kind of thing. But that also gives ideas about where you can make change in your business. Like, are you measuring, um, your 
outputs on the environment in terms of waste and carbon assessments. I also, you don't have to certify as carbon neutral, but I do each year. So that's something a practice can do pretty easily. Yeah, okay. Um, giving back is another one, doing pro bono. Yeah, we've seen you've recently done that as well um, with the Australian Passive House Association. Is that right? Well, I had a, after doing my B Corp, I had a put a pro bono program in place maybe Maybe. for about a year where every, I think three or four times a year I would open it up and take applications. But I actually just scrapped that at the end of last year because funnily enough, it was really hard to get people (laughs) organised. So like the last person that, or non-profit that that won was a successful applicant, they eventually said, look, we just can't rally people, um, get organised to kind of do this shoot. So... And I don't know, I just noticed a few things like that. So I thought I'll get rid of the program and I will target where I want to give my time, you know, to aligned non-profits like done Renew and Australian Passive House Association, um, Climate Council, Australian Environment Grant Makers Association and Biodiversity Legacy. So kind of climate change building and conservation spaces. So that's, I think, how I'll do it going forward. Mm. Yep. And that seems like that's going to have a far better result. So that's great. Yep. But after the B Corp, I think the other big thing that you can do to make a difference in any business is money. And I'm so passionate about how people use their money. I've been banging on about it for years. (laughs) Um, At the moment, I'm actually creating a digital course on how people can make a bigger impact with their money. So I've always said if every business and individual thought about where their money was being used um, and you took all your money out of banks and super that are investing in fossil fuels and you put it in clean banking, ethical super, like imagine that difference that it would make. And the same goes for suppliers where you're spending your money. There's pretty much always an ethical alternative, Mm -hmm. but humans are lazy. We always do. We do what we do and we take the easy way. Yeah. Um, So that's why I'm creating a course for small business owners in Australia to move their money where it matters, to ensure, well, to give them a simple step-by-step process that they can ensure that their banking, super and suppliers are being moved to where it matters and are aligned with their values. And then they can also show the next generation that they're invested in their future. So say your kids are saying, what are you doing about climate change? You'll be like, well, I just divested all this money from the fossil fuel industry. I think that's a really powerful, easy way that anyone, any business, any individual can do straight away. That's, yeah, wow. Um, my first thoughts are like, when do you sleep? Um, <laughs> but it, I don't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we might actually at the end in the show notes just get all of the information mm. to link people to that course yeah. when it goes live and yeah. you know, be able to share that across books. That sounds like a really amazing thing mm. to assist and if not just a precursor to even something to be Corp or whatever that be, just to get that yep. mindset. So the cool thing about that I imagine is you can probably digest that while, you know, laying in bed at night with the tablet on and the and the captions on and uh, just, yeah, take it piece by piece. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Is that the format it's going to be? Like what, what's the format going to be? It'll just be a very simple step-by-step, you know, you can tick them off as you go to get results really quickly like potentially, you know, an hour or two per module, which is kind of banking, super and spending are the main ones. But 
I always thought, well, I think last year I wanted to do a digital course and it was, I just, I don't know, the idea didn't really hit me. And then this year I just thought I'm, I'm like you, the biggest nerd when it comes to organization and I use Notion, you use ClickUp. Yeah, ClickUp. Um, <laughs> and I'm just very, you know, process driven. And I thought there actually is benefit in how I think and just setting it out so simply to get it done because I don't know, that's the stuff I love, but most creatives and small businesses hate it. I yeah. love the admin. I love yeah. it. Um, I think most people would just about pay you to have a template for your <laughs> Notion uh, template. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can vouch for an online digital course too as mm. we're just about to launch ours in about a week's time and I know what goes Ooh. into that. So it's been an 18-month labour of love for sure and uh, pretty excited for that one to, to get out there to the people. And What's your topic generally? It's essentially bridging the gap. So a lot of the um, inquiries we get for consultation are just basically like someone with a bit of knowledge and expertise um, to bridge the gap between a designer and a, a builder, um, usually client-driven. So, you know, they, the client wants this outcome, but the designer or builder don't have experience and they want to be able to mm. sort of, hey, you know, this is what I want, but they don't know how to get there. And we yeah. sort of come in and go, hey, this is this is how you can achieve that. Here's the details, um, literally the construction details on how to achieve that. And here's like, you know, a, a reason why. Um, mm. So that's just sort of video recordings of myself and Sandra. And yeah, that's that's kind of it. So hopefully, exciting. yeah, um, there's been a surprisingly a bit of interest as well from designers and builders in the industry who just want to upskill too and just mm. like interested to know, um, maybe, maybe because they've had a client come to them and say, hey, we want to do this. And like, what the hell is that? Mm. <laughs> How do we do that? Um, and, that, you know, they can just jump the gun and, and get there as well by doing it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I've had a few um, clients who have said that about architects and builders that they haven't done heaps of high-performing homes and there is a bit of a gap. I see that. Yeah. Um, there is. And we, yeah, we have another, um, chat coming up soon with someone in that space who does that in the, in the U S. So it'd be interesting to see, yeah, how they've approached it. They've been doing it for a few years now too. So. Hi, thanks for taking the time to come and have a look at the hybrid home course. It's been produced by Outline Studio and we've been working on it for the last 18 months. Look, we cover all the topics that you're going to need to be able to upskill and learn a little bit more about how you can have a higher performing home. We look at energy efficient housing design in general, orientation, air tightness, insulation, ventilation, thermal bridging, glazing, and we do touch on cost a little bit too. Although disclaimer, it's only at the current time of recording that we've been able to put those forward. You'll find everything from as-built verifications in which we have our own services and advice, helpful handouts that touch on all of the topics that we discuss that you can see on the left-hand side here in the video. We consider things in detail like how we go about recording our height for shading. We also do some demonstrations on how to achieve better results in an Atters assessment. You'll see what looks like when we do our inspections and see the thermal bridging occurring. And you can also have a look at a previous um, presentation from Builders Declare that we did. We look at the importance of ventilated cavities and the right wraps and moisture control, as well as the ventilation systems. Thermal bridging is a big one that we touch on and a step-by-step -step process of how to install a window. On top of that, you've got all these fantastic construction details you can use for projects yourselves and in your documentation. We look at all the best practices, high performance, and even airtight construction as well in these details. So please take the opportunity now to purchase the course. You will not regret it. So this is something I've been itching to now ask about a bit more because I'm a massive architecture fan as it is, and you have had access to some of the most amazing 
designed homes in this country. And I want to know if you have one or many memorable um, visits to, to take sh- to for shoots at all that you might want to share with us at all it's, or a favourite or anything. <laughs> anything? Well, I think I'm <laughs> shooting one next Tuesday. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. It's ours. <laughs> in all seriousness, I am very pumped to document Outlier's first hybrid home next week. Yes. Um, that's now, I guess, out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's good. We are, it's yeah, we, it was. No, <laughs> Marty's coming to, yeah, to take photos of our first ever um, completed hybrid home, which is really cool. Uh, and there's actually some pretty big news to announce, uh, I suppose, once they go public as well, which Ooh. I'll keep everyone posted. We're waiting Ooh. on some verification of the latest results from the energy uh, assessments and, you know, have a PHPP underway and we actually have – a silly, silly amount of sensors throughout the entire home as well, which we're looking to share all that data with everyone mm. and give a bit of a comparison of how it's performing. So not to amazing, not to take the limelight away mm. from the amazing photos, but yeah, no yeah. performance is everything. Totally. Um, I'm going to disappoint you though, and not really name any names, but I think I am pretty excited about shooting so many more passive houses. Mm. For instance, um, 2021, I shot one, which was down at the Cape. Yep. Last year I shot two and then by the end of this year, currently, it'll be around 12. Wow. So that kind of shows how it's growing mm-hmm. in the space and they're, you know, either pending certification. They're not high performance, they're passive. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. going to have the plaque on the wall. Yeah. So I am very excited that that's kind of showing that there's a change happening. Um, it's not solving everything that's not solving the housing crisis or, um, you know, that everyone can afford these, but it's showing that there is a model that is out there that already exists that people can look to for inspiration. There's a change happening. Yeah. 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 I mean, you must have had so many conversations then on this. And is there anything in general that people have shared with you as to why they went for certification on their their homes? Um, I don't – not specifically – I mean, some of it, it could also be the architect and builder yep. want to get it over the line to mm-hmm. kind of show that it meets performance. Um, look, I don't know. I think people just want to live in a really comfortable, high-performing house and passive house is that it's the only way that you can verify it. I think that's where my environmental scientist or scientist mind comes back to it yeah. is that once you know about it, that's the only measurable building and it just makes so much sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. And it's, is it only 5 to 10% kind of uplift from building a standard non Yeah, we, I mean, we don't want to talk numbers. I know it's very controversial. No, I'm, I'm quite happy roughly, to. roughly, yeah. I heard that at the Passive House Conference. Yeah, I know. And um, you probably heard a few echoes throughout the builder's wing <laughs> at the Passive House Conference like I did. But uh, no, it, it's really climate dependent in my experience. So, you know, mm. if you're in a really cool climate, that number could be up to 15% compared to a six-star energy rated home. Yeah. Um, but if you move, you know, further to north, to Sydney or, or further north to that, you know, you're starting to then look at more what would be there anyway um, as far as, you mm. know, a 90mm stud wall or double glazed as opposed to triple glazed windows for those um, to get those performance values in line. So, yeah, that would then maybe come closer to 5%. So I know that is one of the things that maybe gets left out a little bit when someone stands up you know, at a conference and says, hey, it was only 5% higher in our construction bill. Hang on a sec. Where was that climate where you located? Yeah. That's sometimes admitted. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there is an actual real answer that you can just, yeah, you know, that applies to everyone. applies to everyone. It just yep. varies wherever you go. 
Uh, and, you know, as we've started branching out a bit more now too into more regional, like when I mean regional, I mean like five hours drive from anywhere projects, um, materials are way higher. So that mm-hmm. ratio compared to the one that we had in our Melbourne project is way higher as well mm-hmm. for that reason. So yep. it's just like totally different depending on, yeah, location and climate. Yep. Makes, makes sense. Yeah. I think, that was amazing. Yeah. I think also I'm, I'm very passionate about getting these buildings high performing or passive in front of the general public. Yeah. Which is why I kind of pitch all my clients' work to even the more editorial magazines like House and Garden, Home Beautiful, Inside Out, even Country Style, there's a few passive houses in there because a lot of architects and builders want their work to be seen in green and sanctuary, but you're kind of already preaching to the converted. Yep. And that is nice to be in there, but I really like seeing getting these houses in front of people that might have never heard of a passive house mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. not know what a high performance house mm-hmm. is. And they, you know, you get these magazines still generally have six to eight page pages in there. Um, so you just, they'd be looking at it with these, you know, beautiful photos, story about the family, and then they read it and it just talks about all these benefits. Yeah. And then that might make them think, oh my God, that makes so much sense. I could do that. You know, there's no reason why it can't be beautiful and high performing. Mm. I love that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might just spark some thought in people that might not know about it. So I think that's really valuable. Yeah. Mm. Okay. That actually leads on to one of the next questions, Marnie, um, which is what are your thoughts on that the urban theory that in order to have a high functioning home, um, you have to sacrifice something in terms of its aesthetics or its beauty? It's so untrue. And... I don't know if yeah. I have to be more tactful here, but like every time I get <laughs> sent recce photos before a shoot of white plaster walls, just a bit of my soul dies <laughs> over and over. And I'm surprised I'm still alive because so many of those little parts, you know, there's so there's so many. And I'm like, I know it's not the architect, but, it's, you know, you're working with the client and sometimes the interiors aren't as important or you might put more of the money um, into other things. But I think that was part of what people thought, uh, you know, a sustainable house mm. was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It looked a certain way and the interiors were bleak. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think that's what's in a lot of people's heads, but it can be anything. Because mm. I remember at the the Passive House Conference, we heard a figure that only 25%, you know, roughly, of the cost of a total build is related to performance, building yeah. performance. So I imagine that that's what wrap, insulation, windows, doors. I feel like I'm missing a vital. <laughs> well, yeah, there's the air tightness factor comes into, yeah. you know. Um, All of that, yeah. the wrap, that kind of thing. So that leaves. I'm ventilation if you're going for air tightness. Yes, as you HIV, so, yeah. that was my other main one. Mm-hmm. So that leaves 75% for things like walls, floors, kitchens, bathrooms. I mean, yep. I'm not the expert here. I'm kind of making this up, but. You know, so that can be anything. It doesn't have to be white plaster. Mm-hmm. Not at all. I'm and really... I would love it when it's not. Just give Gosh. me like a timber-filled cabin uh, or something, you know. Yeah. Those things shoot a lot better <laughs> from my perspective as well. It's a lot more warmth, I think, texture. Yeah. Oh, God. It, you spend all your time in, inside whether you want to admit mm. that or not. It's, yeah, the, the data doesn't lie. And the uh, that's probably one of the things I think we talk about in our office a lot mm. is like interiors are the most underutilized mm. or underappreciated thing in design. Um, oh, yeah, that's what makes you feel good sitting in a space. Yes, you're not going to, you know, yes, you need a great roof, but you're not going to be, I don't know, feeling that every time you're sitting down to have coffee and 
looking out your window. It's what is inside that makes it feel so good. Mm-hmm. And re- that gets left behind. Can you lot. remember the first time you walked into an airtight, well-insulated home? Like the feeling? It was warm. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, it's calmness. Mm, quiet. Yeah, it's just this calmness. And I get. I think you can get that from interiors as well, from finishes mm. and things. Like there's something that there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. When, um, yep. As soon as I attach emotion to anything, it just means so much more. It just amplifies everything, and yep. yeah, that's I think why why it's so important to yeah to keep check on that too. Um, yeah, and <laughs> when you were talking about the that, I just immediately thought of the block, like the first you know things that people share of a certified passive house image is just like this white block. And that's your house, you know. There's no there's, soul. Yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be at all. Like no, yeah. and I think. Um, the more you show of high-performing houses that have nice interiors, the more people will realise that you can do whatever you want with them. Mm. Yeah. But that's why it's so important to have someone on board, I think, to do the interiors. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we pretty much, what, 95% of our projects have an interior mm-hmm. designer. We have an in-house interior designer, Harvest. Um, but, yeah, if we don't, we also have an independent or, you know, someone working with us in an interior design role regardless for that yep. reason. Amazing. Put a high value on it. Yep. Everyone listening, interior design. <laughs> yes. And that's also why I, I made a decision um, a year or so ago not to shoot without a stylist. Ah, yeah. Because that then comes down to furniture, I suppose. Like you can make a beautiful interior, but you can't control the taste of your client's furniture. Mm. So it, a stylist just does such a valuable job of coming in on the day and moving things around for the actual photo. So you were initially doing that all on your own, were you? Um. Yes. Mm, okay. And, I mean, some places were finished more than others. So when I used to shoot more editorial or for magazines and things, you might walk in and have to do a lot less. Mm. But a homeowner that's essentially doing a favour for the architect, letting them come into their house mm. and shoot, might have kids, you know, that's normal life. Yeah. So you can't expect everything to be looking like a magazine. So a lot of it's just about decluttering, mm-hmm. you know, making it a bit more minimal and then bringing back in things that the homeowner has for that particular shot. Mm-hmm. Botanicals, you can make anything look good with a giant <laughs> autumn <Sorry>. branch of <laughs> something. Yeah, But also makes it feel, again, it's like a texture thing. And I, I find a lot of people don't have enough, um, you know, like sheer curtains. I think we talked about this. Oh, sheer God. curtains, yeah. rugs. <laughs> it's almost like soft furnishings finish office space. Yeah, and, you know, when you told me good. that, I went straight to the clients. <laughs> like as soon as you, we sort of parted ways and said our goodbyes, I went straight to the clients and went, hey, when are you getting those uh, shears. shears in? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, they had them order by the end of the week. Have they gotten them in? Eight weeks lead time. We mm. might miss this one. <laughs> we might have to uh, have myself holding some up <laughs> out, of, out of shot. <laughs> From the office. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I know we've just touched on, you know, your thoughts around whether something, you know, sustainable can't look pleasing to the eye, but um, do you think that sustainable architecture changed the way that we think about um, our homes, in your opinion? Yes. I think we're all beginning to realise how terribly our houses are built here in Australia and that we're all living in the proverbial tent. (laughs) Um, And I just think now people are thinking maybe that shouldn't be the norm. Mm. Whereas most of us grew up, until I, you know, started doing this a few years ago, I would have been the same. You just thought it was the norm and, you know, your, your friends, your family, anyone's house you went to, it was all the same. Freezing, condensation yeah. on the windows, 
that kind of thing. Um, and I think there's a reason that so many people I meet in the passive house space come from Europe. Yeah. There's so many. It's either owners or people in the industry and they must just come here and think what are we doing mm. when they're doing things so well overseas compared to here. So I think we're starting to think about how we can build better with soaring energy bills and the climate crisis. But I also think that we need to start framing it to people in a different way um, than about the climate crisis, for instance, instead yeah. talking about health. And I think that will resonate much more with a lot of people. I think I read a stat, is it 9% of kids in Australia have asthma? I think it was that high and a lot of that probably comes from the homes we're living in. So if you told parents, you know, do you want to live in a house where nobody has asthma and there's no respiratory issues, there's no mould, it's quiet. Mm. Also that there's no pests or anything. Mm, yeah. And yeah. I can vouch for that at the moment in a little mouse crisis we have <laughs> in mm. our 1890s weatherboard mm. mm. cottage that we're currently living in. There's a lot of holes. I was crawling around on the floor a couple of weeks ago with steel wool and clove-scented cotton buds trying to block up holes that I didn't even know we had in the old part of our house. Have you oh blown dodged your home yet? No, you're no, doing we're it. We're coming down. Yeah. <laughs> Although Let's I'll, get to it. <laughs> slightly terrifying. but Oh, mm. that's just do it for road protection, yeah, or yeah. road <laughs> pest <Yeah>. control. <laughs> Please, we, we, need a, we need a cat. Our dog, our dog <laughs> just slept through all of these mice coming in. So I think who's going to say no to that when you mm. frame it no. in a way that's healthy, mm. that also works towards solving, you know, climate crisis Mm. Um, and energy bills. Mm. You don't if ninety percent less heating and cooling than an average house. Mm. Yeah, the list goes on, right? The benefits mm. are stacked, mm. like stacked. Yeah, and they're just the health issues that we're aware of. There's probably mm. a slew of others that we don't know. I mean, I, I think about the same thing at my place. With I've got there's five of us, three children, two adults, and I think about this every winter when we've got the fireplace going and what we're ingesting at night while we're sleeping and the fires roaring. So yeah, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you remember the stat sign? Again, I'm going to keep. This is like the summary of the Passive House Conference. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, but they talked about New Zealand. Was, is this right in my memory here of it being the second highest oh. rate of asthma per capita in the world? Quite possibly. I just remember the story, and I can't remember his name. Apologies. An architect who built a little passive house. He had three kids, two of them had kind of chronic asthma and wouldn't get better after, you know, the childcare bugs and that kind of thing, built his little passive house. Instantly those kids, all those issues went away and then they yeah. had a third child who was born in that house and that child never had any of those issues ever. Yep. We have such a long list and some of our guests who have been on this podcast as well who have shared similar stories mm. of just being completely just their fam entire family ill, sick, mm. without understanding why. Sick house syndrome. Yeah, and it was generally due to mould um, and it wasn't until they had sort of moved on from that home or some had left. In fact, we had um, someone recently talking to me how they were basically in a room with their two children in a single room in this home because it was so mould affected they couldn't live in the bedrooms Ugh. and they've got out and they're all better. Um, and, yeah, that's a story that I know Jess has shared from Adapt Design and others as well who have been on the podcast about how their own experiences, lived experiences of maybe not understanding entirely what was causing it um, or just kind of, you know, brushing it off but not – and then once they realised that it was actually the house, yeah, it was making mm. them sick. And 
back to New Zealand, the, the reason they've had issues there is due to their mould crisis. They insulated and went airtight without dealing with ventilation. And on most of the homes that have been impacted by this have got serious mould issues and mm. the occupants therefore are quite ill. Um, they're onto it now, but, you know, we have an opportunity here to, uh, I guess, kind of try to divert as much as we can around that same um, issue here. So, mm. yeah, that's... Oh, we continue mm. on on this. <laughs> I know. I'll be interested yeah. to see Anthony's bringing in a um, air quality monitor. Oh yeah. And because we've done that, we've we're living in this old cottage, been there for twelve years. That uh, we've run it on um, wood heaters is mm -hmm. all it had, mm -hmm. and we have an old arga that runs on gas. And because we're not planning to be there for much longer and build a little passive house, I always thought I don't need to do anything about this. Next house will be amazing. And now I'm kind of thinking, well, I've got a bit of a responsibility to do something for the future owners, whether to electrify everything. Um, Custodian of the house, you know, the house. Yeah, mm. which makes me think you always should do all of these things as soon as you move in, not when you're <laughs> yeah. not at the end. You're about to depart, yeah. yeah. It's a really tricky one. Mm, um, it is. I, yeah, you, I'm certain that... And I shared this with you um, off uh, off recording or not recording as well that I'm in the same position. Like I don't, you know, when do you make these decisions? And uh, it's tricky. I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of people listening as well who relate with that. Mm. Yep. You need a life cycle analysis almost on hot water heater. Is it better oh. to let it die and then replace it or is it better to get off gas now? Yeah. But I don't know the answer. Yeah. No, this is for someone who's more of an expert in this field. Hopefully we can get someone like that on mm. the podcast. If you're listening, reach out. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, Marnie, can you please tell us a little bit more about what you're excited about at the moment? I'd have to say it is my husband and I's quest for finding and protecting land for biodiversity and conservation, leaving it for future generations to steward and also building a little passive house on, which leads on from that. But I guess this is an idea that we've been working on for a little while that's almost be the culmination of your lifetime impact almost. Um, how to do things a bit differently. Like I said, we don't have children. So what do we do with anything that's left over? And if you live your whole life trying to create impact, I didn't then want to just leave it, yeah. you know, anything that you've got left over to, I don't want to say that my siblings probably won't listen to it, but, you know, <laughs> siblings that they don't really, they don't need any money. That's not really going to change anything. So um, I guess this probably comes back as well. It's like full circle to my, um, my university degree and my first career, you know, as an scientist and then studying zoology is this idea of, finding some land with high conservation values, like a pretty big chunk, or if it's connecting crucial habitats, making a biolink yeah. um, and protecting that, but then as well as putting a covenant on it so that can never be developed, looking at a different way of doing things in terms of land ownership where it would probably go into a non-profit, um, perhaps have a community land trust associated with it. So that land is never sold. It will always be there for whoever you decide, um, whether that's a group, um, Indigenous communities or, I don't know, family or whatever that can always kind of come to that land, improve it, steward it, keep it pest weed free, work on it. 
have a passive house. So it's just looking at a different model yeah. of land ownership. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a bit of a work in progress to what that will be. But then I think looking for this first lot of land that we can then also live on and get out of the drafty little cottage, <laughs> um, but then perhaps, you know, add, add to that if we can throughout your life, buying more land that can then be preserved forever. Using that same model that you'll create yeah. from this sort of first initial one. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I was absolutely just like blown away when I heard about the Nightingale model the first time. Mm. And, um, you know, that was based off the Bogropen model of the, you know, group of people coming together to buy and develop their homes. Um, like this kind of has that tone to it to me. Like this is something that's a little revolutionary in this country and could be a really amazing model that um, can be repeated or replicable. So, yeah. yeah, that's cool. And and just this is probably my own question just to clarify. So we're not talking about this being entirely public land that anyone can come to. It's more about making sure it's for the right use. and the, Yeah, the, correct. It's, yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if anyone, anyone knows of any yeah. <laughs> um, amazing land that needs someone to look after it, let me know. Yeah. You just never know who's listening. <laughs> Outside of Victoria as well or just in Victoria oh, are you thinking? I think that's the hard thing too when you're when you're a bit wider with your search, it can make it harder. I mean, mm. it will probably be Victoria mm. uh, but not necessarily. Mm. Kind of looking for the right land. Yeah. Whatever that is. Yeah, but I guess, um, you know, we can't be too selective when it comes to mm. the initial one. So, so you would be living there as um, – someone who is that steward that yep. is, yeah, yep. amazing. I yep. think Ryan, my husband's ready to give up the corporate life and just go around taking out weeds and uh-huh. looking after the land yeah. <laughs> to do that kind of thing. So, mm. yeah, we'll see where it goes. Cool. All right. There is one question that we do ask all our guests. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. More than welcome to take this one. Okay. Like Marnie, if you had one wish to change something in the National Construction Code or industry, what would it be? That one is so easy. I would just say mandate that every new build has to be of passive house standard. Mm. So Scotland is doing it. Mm. They starting next year, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just it's it's time to ensure that we're building to the highest energy efficiency standards possible um, and that those standards are verified throughout the build and at the end of the build so the residents can be sure of the quality of the house they're living in. Mm. But... Again, it just comes back to that nothing is measured after a build for yeah. the performance except passive house. And I think, you know, everyone says it's it's expensive, it's not accessible to everyone, but if that becomes um, mandated, then pr- people will innovate, prices will come down, mm-hmm. it'll all happen, it happens very quickly. So yeah, that is my, that's my dream. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Like yeah. I think that's probably the highest elevated one we've had so far. Like <laughs> just go straight to the top. Well, not even messing around. Why not? Why We're not? just going to go right there. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm and I'm a massive believer in the as-built verification. That's mm. the biggest draw card for me for Passive House, believe it or not, with health being a close second because in our experience with what we do in our testing side of things, like uh, uh, most homes are not built in accordance with mm. what was assessed on paper. But you don't get that opportunity to mess that up with Passive House. It is it is what it is, you know. It's yeah. um, got to be built exactly how it was designed to. So, mm-hmm. Like where else yeah. would that, you know, if you're talking about the car industry or something, would that fly that you've got safety um, rules and you build the car but no one tests it? Oh, not apparently the Volkswagen, but, that's, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> yes, you agreed. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, yeah, thank you. I, um, I really hope that there's a lot more people out there that uh, do exactly what you've done and follow you in your journey. Um, where can we find out more about you? Where can we contact you? Where can we hear more about your course? What's happening? Website, I guess, marniehorson.com.au. Instagram, Marnie Horson. Um, I'm a bit slow on the old Instagram, although I've just come up with a, um, you know, an idea that I can become a bit more regular on posting on that. I'm pretty slack. Got Marketing Mondays. Oh. I had Marketing Mondays for a while and then I was just procrastinating when it came to doing social yeah. media. <laughs> I feel like I would rather invoice than write an Instagram post because I try and make it meaningful, talk about the client, talk about the home, but then everyone says no one reads the caption anyway, so why, why are you wasting your time? Then mm-hmm. AI. We haven't touched on AI. We can just use that for everything now. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So we, uh, we have a subscription to Copy AI and I hear great things about ChatGPT as well. Mm. Yes. Um, I did hear you have a newsletter. Am I yes. hearing that correctly? Yeah. yeah. So newsletter, you can sign up. I send it out once a fortnight and it's more – it's a bit random based on things that I like around sustainability, productivity – things for small business. I saw the blurb about the birds. Now it's making <laughs> sense now that you've yes. passed. Yeah. Things like that. So yeah, that's a good way to follow me as well. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Marnie, thank you so much for taking the time out and coming to chat with us today. Um, I have to say, first time we've met, you're an inspiration, honestly. It's been lovely chatting to you and it's nice to every now and then get that little, you know, sort of it's a disruption to the way you think when I think I haven't actually considered that before and that's that's wild. And it's, it's good. It's a bit of a wake-up call. So I hope everyone else has, has um, enjoyed it as much and taken as much value from it as I have. It was great. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you Thank so you, much Marnie. for having me on. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Outlier Podcast. You can find helpful links and contact information regarding this episode in our show notes and on our website, outlierstudio.com.au forward slash podcast. If you like our show, please leave a review and make sure you subscribe to never miss a new episode. If you have further questions for us or want to share some additional feedback, please feel free to DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Until next time on the Outlier Podcast.